So, ladies, welcome to um, another podcast of Brenda Hugh. I'm here today with Dr. Margaret Bjørnedotter. Did I announce it or pronounce it the right name? Bjørnedotter. Bjørnedotter. Yes. And I've been doing my really, you know, doing my best to make sure that I pronounce your name because it's gorgeous. Thank you so much for um, coming all the way from Washington, D.C. to Amsterdam via Reykjavik. I should probably tell the audience how we met. We met in London in June when you won an award. And I think it was an award for an invention. Do you remember what it was yeah, for? Yeah, it, uh, it was the main award for the innovator or invention of the year. So it was the Gwyn Awards. Um, yeah. And, and what was the award? What was the invention that you did? Yeah. So the invention is really all about how we can use data and algorithms to close the gender pay gap. So what I have done, I developed and did research on basically the measurement of the gap, and then how we can take that measurement and translate that into actually fixing the problem. So you know, to close the gap, who should get to a raise? How large should that raise be? And then I package that all into a cloud software platform. That is my innovation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So before we talk about that more about the gender pay gap, sure. Let's just talk about you. Um, I'm really bad at talking about myself, but we yeah. can try. <laughs> Let, I think you're going to inspire a lot of women. So you've got a lot of, you know, your your background is mostly academic, and uh, you started in um, Iceland, obviously, but you work at a university now in America. How did that happen? How did you go from working in Iceland, that you work at a university there, before you moved to America? Did they ask you? How did you build your career? So it all started, uh, I did my undergrad in Iceland. So I did my undergrad in industrial and mechanical engineering at the University of Iceland. And there I fell in love with my field, which is operation research. I just thought the math was beautiful. <laughs> you so, thought that math was beautiful? Yeah, so the math there is so eloquent and it's all focused on solving problems. So, uh, you know, I had been kind of wandering around. So I was originally uh, enrolled in computer science and I took some classes in mathematics and then I went to civil engineering. I figured out after reading 50 pages on how to make cement that I was not going to become a civil engineer. So then I finally switched to industrial engineering. And there uh, I found operation research and just thought it was the most amazing thing. So, um, and I had always loved teaching. So I was a teaching assistant. And then, you know, from there it kind of became obvious to me that, you know, a PhD in operation research was really something I wanted to, you know, get. So then um, I took a year off working for a startup after my undergrad and applied to grad school and uh, got into MIT. I brought a cake to work when I got into MIT. <laughs> so the guys at my, at, my, at my job, they were all bringing cakes when they had babies. I <laughs> brought a cake when I got into MIT. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, so I did my uh, PhD there. Uh, so I spent six years in Boston. And from there, I built my academic career. So I spent two years at Stanford, and then uh, I've been at the University of Maryland for now seven years. Wow. So seven years in America? No, 15 in total. 15 in total. I believe so, roughly. So six in Boston, then two in California. So that's eight, seven. And all um, working for universities? Well, yeah, first doing my PhD and then working for universities, yeah. So what's the biggest difference between living in America and living in Reykjavik? 
I think it's, it's very totally different. I think Iceland and more generally Europe, we have built up a society where basically basic access to, let's call it, education and healthcare is almost guaranteed, right? Um, in the US, living there with a family, those things are not guaranteed. So, um, for example, you have to start thinking about as soon as your kid is born that you have to start saving for college, right? You have to have a college fund for each one of your children. Uh, you know, basic access to healthcare is not guaranteed for everybody. Um, so there's a lot of things that we take for granted in Europe that you actually have to think about and worry about in the States, which I think makes it harder it's, yeah it makes me like Europe <laughs> even yeah. more right yeah yeah but you know now have a reputation in the states so even if you were to want to come back it's it's a bit easier because you survived that jungle it seems to me um, and, and 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 the thing that I really love about what you're doing is that you're doing it with your family and a lot of the times women use having a family as an excuse not to really do what they want to do but you have two young daughters and you have a son yep. and you live in Washington half the year and yep. you live in Reykjavik half the year. Yep. And your son is nine. Nine. Yes. And people always use their children as an excuse not to have the dream jobs of their life. But it seems like you're doing it. I think you have to marry well. Oh, it's the partner. That's. The I mean, I think that's the key. I, I would not be able to have, you know, the job that I have, the startup that I have, the amazing family that I have, if I didn't have a supportive partner. Okay. So that's so the main thing we have to look for. You, yeah, you have to choose wisely. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I saw you on stage in London and you were explaining what your tool was doing and how it was going to change women's lives. Yes. And I saw a video that Women Inc. had made and it's called Where's My 300,000 Euros? And it was basically about the fact that the gender pay gap in Holland is so large that in a lifetime women are missing out on 300,000 euros in pay. Yep. And I thought, we need to do something about it. Even though my subject is personal branding and visibility, I still think that as a woman, to make yourself visible also means you need to make, make more money. So it's one of the things that I think we need to tackle. So um, uh, having this as an issue, how can we get women to understand next year to saying, okay, you're missing out on 300,000 euros, how can we make them understand how big it is, the gender pay gap, and um, uh, how can we get especially the women that work in HR to understand how they can make a difference, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think I want to phrase the question differently. Go on. Because um, I don't think it's about getting the women. It's about getting everybody to understand that this is discrimination. And um, I often get asked, you know, by CEOs, where, you know, so I work with a lot of companies um, and one particular company, uh, they measured the pay gap of 2.5% and the CEO was quite happy, you know, because it was He was happy because he, it was a low It was quite low, low and percentage. then, you know, in statistical terms, it was not significant, so he thought it was good enough. And I was trying to explain to him that 2.5% over a lifetime is huge, yeah. right? And I think it's about, it's about education part of it um, and it's about providing solutions 
is about you know showing them data. So often when I you know we are working with um, both HR people and the kind of the C-suite, you know you show them a good visualization of their pay structure, and sometimes that's the aha moment. Yeah, that's all you they know, need to see. That's all they need to see because they just we look at kind of the the visualization of where men lie in the you know within a specific job role. So everybody has a similar job. And we look at what where the salaries of the men lie, and we look at where the salaries of the women lie, and then we just stare at the picture, and the picture speaks volume. Yeah. And I think that bringing that kind of aha moments helps in this education that you know making the problem visible, not just a statistic, but making it visible, yeah. helps kind of promote this. Okay, we have to fix it. Yeah. And what I love about the solution that you created with your tool is that it talks about taking away unconscious bias. And we just had a meeting, Margaret and I, I introduced her to my network, and we had a meeting with an HR company and she said that that's the biggest challenge because if you can actually see that a manager only gives promotion and high salary to his male colleagues and he doesn't even know it, he's not even aware of it, but he unconsciously does it, he doesn't promote his women as well, he maybe asks her different questions, that's something that they discussed today as well, that men get asked different questions than women. So your tool takes that away and it does that through data. Yeah. How does it do it, you know, what's the biggest impact of your tool? I think that the biggest impact of the tool is it's so, I mean, we have known about the pay gap for such a long time, right? We have known this for decades, that there's a pay gap. Um, and we have gotten very good at measuring it, yeah. right? But we haven't gotten really good at actually fixing the problem. And I think there is the contribution, like f trying to figure out, okay, fine, we have a pay gap, now what do we do? And coming up with a plan and then, you know, executing on that plan. Um, so that I think that's where the, kind of the contribution and the novelty of what we're doing lies. That's the heart of it. So you do an analysis and then you also give them advice on how to fix it. Because I'm guessing a lot of companies are looking at the problem and thinking, oh my God, it's going to cost us so much money to fix this. Because to get the women at the same level as men, it's going to cost them a lot of euros and a lot of dollars and a lot of pounds. So and Icelandic cronies. And Icelandic cronies. <laughs> so yes. how do you even get to their brains? Because one of the questions somebody asked us was, do we do this one time? But then you were like, well, maybe psychologically, that's not a good thing to do, to give somebody a pay a raise in one go because then they think oh my god they haven't valued me real really for years so uh, a more step-by-step -step pay increase is much better yeah so yeah it's a very interesting question so we know almost all companies i think we can uh, phrase it that way have a pay gap um, so out of my clients initially maybe 10 percent didn't have a pay gap for example so let's just assume most companies have a pay gap and then, you know, we want to take the right steps. And one of the things I help them with is actually um, create a plan and know how much each step of the way will cost them. So you can take this into account in your annual planning, which I think is key, because if you want to fix the problem, you have to budget for it. It won't just disappear by good intentions. Um, so that's one thing um, that we do, but now I forgot what your question was. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually talking about... Um, no. Oh, how do you do this? Implement this, right? One step versus many small steps, correct? Yeah, yeah so... Um, there are different 
And what was the question? <laughs> well, yeah, the, 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 you just framed it correctly. It's all about how do you go about really implementing it. Right. Because it's, yeah, like you said, it's a discriminatory kind of tool. It's a discriminatory way of looking at equal pay. You know, people aren't getting paid equally, but you can't really just do it all at once. Yeah, so it depends on the size of the problem, obviously. So if it's a small problem, it's easier to deal with. Um, and I always like to phrase it instead of cost, but in, in the terms of investment. So yeah, because it's a way of keeping the women in the company as well. It's, yeah, and I think it's a really strong signal, especially in competitive labor markets, to be able to signal to your employees that you there are fair pay practices. I think that's actually um, huge. Yeah. Just in terms of employee morale and the fact that... It's a good PR strategy as well. Good PR, yeah. We see that in the States that companies that actually take uh, big steps into correcting their pay gaps. I mean, there are press releases all over. So Salesforce is the typical example. They invested millions of dollars two years in a row in fixing the problem. Other uh, companies do this more discreetly, and then oftentimes we kind of roll it in with the annual review cycle. So, in you know the annual review cycle, typically there are, you know raises just due to inflation, plus raises due to your performance, and then um, what we can then do is to incorporate this to make sure that the changes that we are making take the steps in the right direction of reducing the gap as well. So we can help uh, with that. But it's tricky, the messaging. Uh, and it's something that I hadn't thought about initially, but and then it came up that um, just getting a raise is a very strong indicator that you're doing well. Yeah. So if you're doing this just because you're correcting your pay structure, you have to be careful with the messaging around it. So oftentimes we roll this in with bigger salary changes. Yeah. yeah. And I think you had... A similar problem you found out some professor was making more than you were making how did yes. you go about fixing that because that's going to be the common question a woman have once you find out that somebody who's doing the same job the same performance rate with the same kind of results is yeah. earning more than you yeah how do you even approach your boss I think it's about um, gathering data so often that's difficult but gather the data that you can um, how how what kind of data do they need so, to gather? So if you know, I mean, if you know what your colleagues are making, that's a very strong piece of data, right? What if you can't find that out? Know the market value. So there are uh, market surveys um, that kind of show, um, you know, someone with your skill set what they should be making. Um, I think having these, com- I mean, because these are difficult conversations to have. Um, so trying to make them as objective as possible instead of emotional. Because it's very emotional, right? If you find out that you're not being compensated um, at the same level as someone next to you with equal performance, you know, you get emotionally upset, right? So, but trying to get the emotions out and put the objectivity in, I think really helps that conversation a lot. Yeah. So try to build your argument on data. For instance, one, one argument could be if you really want to keep me motivated and focused and spend my energy on working for your company, you should be helping me with this. Or an ar- argument could be um, I'm looking at the comp- competition, what they're doing, and you know I could maybe leave. 
I mean, is that a threat or is that a realistic way of looking at it? Because a lot of the times women don't open their mouths and they leave. Because the problem that most companies have now is that they cannot get their women to the top. The women leave yeah. or they can't seem to attract the right kind of woman to work with them. So do you think we should go to what the UK is doing by having a more transparent approach and sort of naming and shaming and making a list available and of what companies pay? So uh, I think transparency helps. Uh, I think what the UK is doing, um, so for our listeners that might not know what the UK is doing, so the UK basically forces uh, companies above a certain size to publish the median pay of women and median pay of men within their organization. So, but that has more to do with um, kind of the overall distribution of the genders within your workforce. So if you think about the C-suite and that's all male, think about, you know, the receptionist, those are all female, you know, we are not comparing apples to apples. So I don't think that argument would help in that conversation. Um, what you need is a more kind of piece of data um, about you and your skills and how they compare. But to your point, it's very interesting what Britain is doing and it's definitely, it helps push companies in the right direction when they have to publicize their data. And we can see that there was a recent study on the effects in Denmark because this has been on the books in Denmark for maybe, I don't want to say roughly 10 years. So they actually have a before and after comparison. Uh, and they can see that after they put this law, which is very similar to the UK on the books, um, the salaries of women have been accelerating faster than those of men. So there is some catching up happening uh, in Denmark and it has been contributed to that law. So it definitely helps. I also think um, France is taking, a, taking this in a very interesting direction. So rather than just focusing on the median, uh, difference in the median pay of the genders, they're also focusing on you know, the number of females in your top 10. Uh, they're focusing on um, the fraction of females that come back to work after maternity leave that get a raise within 12 months so that they don't fall behind. Um, so they are taking this kind of broader look at it. So I think that's also a very interesting take on it that not only it starts to address the pay gap, that's just one of the five measures that they're using, but putting it into this more social um, frame of things. So yeah, it is very interesting to follow the, what's happening because changing, changes are happening really fast. So um, earlier on you were talking about how data is important, Yeah. but we also know that even if you put the data in front of some people, they still have their own biases. So how do you account for that? What happens if you show your boss the data and he still doesn't want to give you a raise? So, so maybe I should preempt this by saying I'm no specialist in negotiations, <laughs> right? So, so, so maybe, this, maybe we should advise the women <laughs> to take a negotiation course because that's yeah. something that... You know, I mean, first of all, let's go let's go back a step because the thing is, you've got to be aware of what you earn and if that's fair. Yeah. Let's just give them that advice. Yes. And the yes. second advice is get your data. Yeah. And maybe the third and last advice that we can give them when it comes to getting equal pay is 
Maybe take a negotiations class. Yeah, I actually, it, it was one of the best classes I've ever taken in my life. I, so I, during my PhD, I got to um, take a couple of MBA classes and one of the classes I took was actually power negotiations. It was the best class I've ever taken in my life. Wow. So, yeah, part of that class was actually, you know, you were paired with someone for a negotiation and then your partner would actually write up but he thought, he or she thought about your negotiating. Wow. <laughs> and you had to read it. And it was really eye-opening, kind of just knowing how others perceive you. Um, you know, but yeah, it was a <laughs> well, very I'm, healthy dose of feedback. <laughs> well, I, I am all about growth, personal growth, personal development. So I'm going to take that class and I hope some women will do that uh, yeah. as well. Thank you so much, Margaret. I know you have to catch your flight back to Reykjavik, well, back to Boston or um, Washington via Reykjavik. Yep. So I'm really grateful that you gave us these 20 minutes to have a quick conversation about equal pay. And uh, hopefully you ladies got some great advice and um, you can start you know, getting more money, get your 300,000 euros. By the way, that 300,000 euros is a measurement or is, is a number that Women Inc., Women Inc. came up with in Holland because they took the amount of pay that most top women are not getting because of the pay gap. So they basically measured it up in a lifetime and said, if you were a man, you would end up making 300,000 euros more in your lifetime than a woman so get your pay gap tested at women inc because it's a really nice tool that they've created as well and margaret i hope that more dutch companies will hire you to fix their problem that sounds like a plan thank you <laughs> thank you for having me